being with Christ, right? He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. Jesus uses this word remain in just chapter 15 ten times. And the word remain is sometimes translated if you abide in me. Uh, some translations say if you live in me. Uh, it means to stay. It actually means, has an element when you look at the original definition of waiting on God. Like if you really believe I'm going to do this and you're willing to wait on me. And one of the definitions I read that really captured my imagination said, if you take up residence with me. If you make your home with me. And it's just it added, so I, I, all of those different words, all of those definitions kind of round things out, if you will, to give you this picture of being, being connected to or, or staying with or plugged into Christ. And he's kind of saying, if you do that, there really is no limit to all that we can do in Christ Jesus. And I know this is a really simple illustration, but imagine that, that this lamp is, is you and I, that, that we are the lamp. And the truth of the matter is, if the lamp isn't plugged in, it's, it's really useless, isn't it? I mean, it could be a paperweight, it could be a decoration, it could be a weapon, but it's never really going to be a lamp. I mean, we would look at it and we'd say, that's a lamp. You all can see it right now. It's a lamp and it's not plugged in. We know it's a lamp, but it doesn't do what a lamp's supposed to do, right? A lamp is supposed to bring light into darkness. A lamp is supposed to illuminate something. A lamp is supposed to make something clearer or easier to see. But if the lamp isn't plugged in, it's really not doing or being what it was created or invented, if you will, to do. So if we remain, if we abide, if we stay connected, if we stay plugged in, hopefully somebody plugged the other side of this in, <laughs> then we're a lamp. We shine, right? We, we illuminate something. So Jesus is saying, remain in me, abide in me, stay connected to me, stay plugged into me. And I don't know about you, but this is a hard one for me. Even as I prepared this week, I was just very aware of how often I disconnect from God, how often I try to plug into other things for my power or for my comfort. There's this way of, of moving towards something other than God to receive what we're supposed to receive from God. And for me, one of them is, so it's, it's been a pretty busy season for me. I got, I got a lot on my plate. Things have changed around here, and I'm doing a lot, and, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on with Eagle Sports, which is great. And so it's been busy. And, you know, in my busyness, I get up in the morning, and sometimes I forego quality time with God. I'm so busy, I just got to get after it. I got to get in there, and I got to get my work done, and I got to chase after it. And I think God is gracious to me in those moments. But the truth of the matter is, anytime I do that, I'm actually saying to God, look, I got this. No, no don't worry about it. I got this. I, I'm, I'm, I got it. I can handle this all on my own. I can go do it. I become self-reliant, right? And, and I think that I can get it done on my own. And then I, I'm reading in the scriptures, and there's this, there's this evil empire in the Old Testament called Babylon, right? It's probably the most evil of all the empires ever. I don't know how anybody would ever measure that, but let's just say they were pretty evil. And so God is describing the people of Babylon, the, 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 the country of Babylon, the, the movement of Babylon to the prophet Habakkuk, and he says these words. He says, the Babylonians are guilty people whose own strength is their God. And I read that passage and I think to myself, ouch. Ouch. Anytime I take things into my, in my own way, anytime I work out of my own strength, then I've made my own strength my God. So we... I'm wondering if that's my phone or somebody else's. It's kind of scary. It's not mine. 
That would be embarrassing. Good time to set your alarms on your phone. I would have somehow spun it to be a good thing. So anyway, so, so we get stressed, we get lonely, we get scared, we get depressed, we, we find ourselves in times of need, and we find all kinds of ways to disconnect from our true power source and connect to something else. So have you ever noticed, maybe it's just me, but when I'm stressed or when I'm uh, angry, I spend a lot of time standing in front of the fridge. And sometimes I even like stand there thinking, why are you even here? Like, I'm just standing there staring into it, hoping that something of comfort's going to fall out and help me out, you know. But I, I'm there. I'm, I'm literally like, in, in reality, I'm kind of saying, God, are you in the fridge? He's usually not in the fridge, but I'm looking for somebody else in the fridge. Or one of the ways we veg out is we sit in front of a TV. We're stressed. We're, we're, we're having a hard day, and we just want to veg out. Or they, I told them, bring me some alcohol, so they brought me Everclear. Anyway... Or we get home at night and we say, look, I just need to pour a few glasses of wine to take the edge off. I just need a few beers because I'm stressed and I just need to, to take the edge off. Or we go on our laptops or our computer and we end up looking at pornography because it helps to calm us down or, or take our minds away from what's bothering us. Or, you know, one of them that I thought about is sometimes our anger and rage, it's a boxing glove for those who don't get it, our anger and rage is just a way of letting out something that's inside of us. In our anger and oppression, we rage on people because it allows us to, to unload something. Or we turn to sports. We turn to all kinds of things. We literally unplug from our true power source and plug into something else and think that that's going to give us life. Think that that's going to, to help us out. But the fact of the matter is they're all counterfeits and none of those things can get it done. When we're plugged into those, we cannot be who we were created to be. Right? We're still a lamp and we can recognize our lamps, but we cannot illuminate. We cannot shine. We cannot live into our designed purpose. So Jesus is saying, connect to me, remain in me, abide in me, take up residence in me, stay plugged into me. Maybe we should just stay plugged in. Stay plugged into me. Be what you were created to be. Go back to verse 7, because now Jesus adds another layer to this, this verse. He says, if you remain in me, if you remain in me, and my words remain in you. What does Jesus mean when he says, my words remain in you? The Greek word for the word words here is ramata. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing word, but it actually means the spoken word, that which is spoken, or one of the definitions is that which has been uttered by the living voice. It's the same word we see in, in John 8, 47, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and, he, and he's kind of calling them out, and he says, whoever belongs to God hears what God says. They actually can hear the voice of God in their lives. Or the other place that it's really cool is in Ephesians 6, 17, where it says, take, up the, the, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we've always been taught that it's, it's take up the sword of the Spirit. This is the sword of the Spirit. And in essence, that's sort of true. That is true. But it's not just this. It's the moment of time when God actually speaks and gives you a passage of Scripture for a time and a place and a purpose. And that piece of Scripture becomes something to use. It's the spoken Word of God into our individual lives. One of the definitions that I read as I was doing this study, it came out of a, a Bible dictionary, and it says the significance of Ramata is exemplified in the injunction to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here the reference is not to the whole Bible as such, 
but to the individual scripture, which is the spirit, what the spirit brings to our remembrance for use in times of need. But there's another layer to Ramata. There's another layer to this whole thing, and it, it's a, it's, it is a part of the scriptures, but it's also that moment when God speaks a word to you that is just for you, that is life-giving, that's inspiring, that moves you towards something that you couldn't have moved towards before. I asked some people on Facebook if this has ever happened to them, and one of the stories that somebody told on Facebook, which I just loved, was that they were in a Bible study, and all God said to them, and it was, they said it was clear and they understood it was God, was, I trust you. And those three words, I trust you, took that person on a journey of understanding if God trusts me, if God believes in me, then I need to learn to trust and believe in myself. There's all kinds of things that came out of that to help that person to be who God created them to be, to illuminate in the way that God wants them to illuminate. I had a conversation with Mel, um, one of our worship leaders' brother, yesterday, and, and he was sitting in a Bible study, and a guy was teaching about the centurion soldier. You know the centurion soldier who talks about, I'm a man under authority, and I understand authority. If you just say a word, then my son will be healed. And it, so he's listening to a pastor talk about that, and he hears a word from God, and the word from God for Rex is, I want you to raise up an army of centurion soldiers, men who are under authority, who can pray in authority. And so he hears that word and he lives into that. And now in his context, in a church in New York, he is raising up an army of men who are praying because they're under authority. They're praying in authority and it's having this huge impact in his church. He listened. He had a Ramata moment. He heard God speak to him specifically. And in the power of hearing God's voice, he's doing something that's more than he could ever ask or imagine. Jesus is challenging us to something more than just Bible memorization or Bible study. And I, I know I'm going to get in trouble. Somebody's going to go home and say, Pastor Doug said we don't have to study the Bible. Pastor Doug said we don't have to memorize the Bible. And I'm not saying that. You do. You have to. But you have to do it in such a way that it's personal. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to use the words of God to change who you are, to, to do inner surgery, to make you more like him. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. And if the scriptures don't have impact in who we are, then we've missed the point. It's not enough to just memorize the scripture. It has to do its good work in us. So we should always be asking the question, God, what do you want me to do with the scripture? What is it that you're trying to do in me and through me through this passage that you've brought to me? And we should always be tuning in. Do you believe that God will speak a word to you, that God will say something like, I trust you? or you got what it takes, or you can do this, or I want you to build up an, an army of men praying. Or I mean, the, the beauty of that is that, that God wants to speak to us. This is what gets me fired up. This is, as my friend Randy would say, what grinds my coffee. I don't even drink coffee, but I like that saying. This is what grinds my coffee. Jesus is saying, if you remain in me, if you listen to me, if you receive a, a specific word for me for a reason and a purpose. He's saying if you lean into me, if you hear my voice, if you tune into my promptings, if you follow my instructions, if my words remain in you, he's saying all, all of this is relational. All of this is about a God who speaks. The God of the universe with a word who made the universe come into existence. He said let there be light and there was light, right? He said, make their stars, and there were stars. With a word, he created everything. The all-powerful God wants to speak a word to you and I so that we can be who we are created to be and live into our destiny. Verse 7, 
Jesus starts with a word, though. He starts with the word, if. Right? So we know if, the, if it starts with the word if, then this is a conditional statement. A conditional statement just means if you do this, then you're going to get that. So if you plant an apple seed in good soil and you water it, an apple tree is going to grow. Right? There's this conditional element to it. If you put, excuse me, if you put your hand on a hot burner, you're going to get burned. Right? There's a, there's a condition going on. And Jesus says, if you remain, if you abide, if you stay connected, if you stay plugged into me, if you hear my promptings and you allow me to speak in your life, if you do these things, look at verse 7, it says, Ask whatever you wish. Isn't that cool? Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And I read that passage and I step back and I think to myself, really? Really? And I, I got a little bit of dialogue going with some of you. If you really, do you really believe this? And you know, we're a religious bunch, so we know the right answer. The right answer is yes, we believe it. The question is, do you really believe it? The question is, deep down, do you really believe that God wants to give you the desires of your heart? Do you really believe that you can ask whatever you wish and that God is going to do it? It's an amazing picture that God is painting here. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. But it's a picture of dialogue. You see, because God wants to speak to us, but then he wants us to ask. He wants us to speak to him. He wants us to be in dialogue. And the scriptures say in Thessalonians, what does it say? It says we're supposed to have this heart of praise. We're supposed to rejoice always and we're supposed to pray continually. Well, the only way to pray continually is really to be in this, this place with God where you're plugged into God, where you're kind of always aware of what, what does Jesus want from me? What is Jesus trying to say to me in this? It's not that we, we stop and we're always praying out loud through a list of prayer things. We, that wouldn't be, we wouldn't be able to function that way. But are you mindful of Christ? Are you thinking about Jesus? Are you tuning into what God wants? Do you have a, a heart of prayer, a heart of connection with God? We're supposed to pray always, stay in connection, in continual dialogue with God. And we are to ask. I love that. He's saying, no, ask me. Ask me. I'm your dad. It's okay. Come and ask. He's, he's telling us, I want to hear you ask. But the verse actually says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And so we have to wrestle with the truth of this. I mean, it's there, and Jesus said it, so we know that it's true, but what does it really mean? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Well, does it mean that God's the cosmic vending machine, and that we can ask whatever we want? And if I just believe enough, then I can ask for a really big car. If I just believe enough, and if I figure out the right words and pray the right way, then he's going to give me a, a big house. If I just believe enough, and I pray enough, then I'm going to win the, the lottery. And if, Whatever that is, is it, is it just name it, claim it, prosperity gospel? And I, and I got to tell you, I don't believe for one second that that's what Jesus is saying. I don't believe that we can just pray whatever we want and it's going to happen for us. So there must be something else going on here. And then there's the other side of the spectrum where we become sort of fatalists and we say, well, I can't really stay abiding. I can't really stay connected to Christ. I'm fallen. I'm human. I can't do that. And the truth is God knows what God's going to do. God's will is going to happen anyway. So it doesn't matter how I pray because it's going to happen. And so you don't pray at all. And, and neither of those are a good interpretation of the scripture. Neither one of those spectrums work. They're poor interpretations. And the truth of the matter is this passage isn't as complicated as we make it. It's mystical, it's mysterious, but it's not that complicated. 
if I attach myself to the true power source, if I am grafted into Christ, if I'm plugged in, if I learn to listen to the promptings of God in my life, if I really learn to hear God's still small voice throughout the day, if I learn to to tune into the will of the Father, if I pray for the things that God wants for me, if I pray for my family and what God wants for my family, if I pray for this community and what we know God wants for this community, if we pray for the world and the things we know God wants for the world, if we listen to God's prompting and we pray into the promptings of God, if we actually catch God's vision for our lives, then our prayers become powerful and we live into who God created us to be and God does more than we can ask or imagine. When you know your father, when you trust your heavenly father, when you trust your dad and you know deep down that he knows best, he knows you better than you know yourself, that he can, he can direct you in a way, not out of sheer obedience, but out of excitement and out of, out of love and, and knowing that whatever God has for you is far better than what you have for yourself. When you get to that place where you, where you have obedience and understanding because you know how much God loves you, then God shows up and does immeasurably more. I want to take you back to the story I told last week. I talked about the fact that, uh, I think it was almost two years ago, might have been a little longer than that, God put on our hearts to pray for $500,000 for Eagle Sports. He, we were in a prayer time, and I really felt like God said, Doug, I want you to pray for $500,000. He didn't tell me what for. He didn't tell me how we would use it. And so we began to pray. And so we prayed for over a year for $500,000. We, we just kept praying for it. And in the end, God gave us $1.7 million dollars. Now, the point is, I walked out of the church, and, and somebody could say to me, well, why didn't you pray for $3 million? Huh? Because mathematically speaking, we would have a lot more money, right, if we just pray. Well, you know what? We didn't pray for $3 million because God said pray for 500000 So do I think God could say to you, I want to give you a, a, a better car? Sure he could. But did God say it to you, and then can you pray it back? I mean... I'm not saying that God doesn't want to bless us. God wants to bless us beyond our wildest imagination. But are we tuned into God? Are we hearing the promptings of God? Are we praying what God has prompted us to pray? Or are we just coming up with our own agenda and praying our own agenda? So back to verse 7. He says, I'll give you whatever you wish. Pray whatever you wish. Whatever you desire. Whatever you want. Whatever is going on in your spirit. The fact is, Jesus has given you passion. Jesus has given you deep desires. And I think sometimes in the Christian church, especially for men, what we hear is that we got to subdue our passion, that we can't come passionate about anything, that somehow we have to become flatlined. And the beauty of this passage of Scripture is, no, if you, if you are drawn towards pornography and, and it's, a, it, it's a passion that's taken in the wrong direction, but that passion that God has given you, that's a God-given thing. You've just misdirected it or something else. And he's saying, look, tune into me. Let me inspire you to something more. Take that same passion, that same desire, desire, that same tenacity, and put it towards Christ and see if I don't do more than you ever asked and imagine. And the truth of the matter is that passion will become even more than it ever was when it was misdirected. So this isn't about us losing our passion. This isn't about us becoming flatlined. I love the fact he says more than you wish, more than you desire, more than, than what's inside you. I will spring in you greater desires than you ever even imagined. High school graduates, college graduates, I believe that God wants to unleash his spirit in you. He wants to speak directly to you. He wants to speak personally to you. He wants to awaken and inspire your greatest needs, your greatest passions. He wants to pour out so much of his spirit that there's not room enough to store it. 
The joy I have felt, the excitement I have felt this week as I prepared this message is just as I've meditated on the beauty of this passage, the two-way relationship that this, this, this one verse is picturing. He says, if you remain in me, if you stay plugged into me, if my words remain in you, if you hear me speaking into your life, if you've learned to, to listen to my still vo- voice, ask your passions, bring your passions into your prayers, and, and whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. There is this picture of intimacy that's in that one sentence that's just so life-giving. But then look at verse 8. Verse 8, he says, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Why does Jesus tell all the disciples this? Why is he giving them instructions? Remember, he's doing it so that they can live their lives in such a way to make God known, so that they can bring glory to God. And so he's, he's giving them clear instructions. This is how you can live your life, to be exactly who I've created you to be, to shine like stars in heaven, to actually illuminate God. This is, this is how you're going to do it. And so he's giving them all of these instructions so that they can bring glory to God, make God known, so that they can bear fruit. And one of the problems we have when we look at a passage like this is I think we have a very small understanding of what it means to bear fruit. You see, to bear fruit could very well mean that people are going to come to Christ, and it would mean that, that fruit can be evangelistic fruit, that when I live my life the way I'm supposed to live, when I shine the way God has designed me to shine, people are going to see God, and they're going to come to know Christ. And so it's, it's this evangelistic thing, but it's also just life change. That when you live your life this way, that God actually does a work in you and he actually shapes you more and more and more into the image of his son. And we actually become a mosaic living like Jesus. So it's life change. It's, it's learning to live with joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control in our lives. It's, it's a peace that passes understanding. Fruit is answered prayer. Fruit is, is hearing the voice of God. Fruit is when you open the scriptures and God says, this is for you. Or when you're in a hard moment, he says, and he gives you a, a, a passage of scripture and you look it up and you're like, this is amazing. This is exactly what I needed to hear in this moment. All of that is, is fruit. And the question is, do we want the world to know? Do we want our neighbors to know? Do we want our, our family to know? Do we want our kids to know? Do we want them to see the glory of God in us? Do we want to be exactly who we were created to be? Do we want to stay connected? Do we want to stay plugged in? Do we want to hear God's voice? Do we want to be in continual dialogue with Christ? And do we want to do it in such a way that the world will see Christ in us? My encouragement to you this morning is to be who you've been created to be, to illuminate to shine the light of God in the way you live your life. The scriptures say that he wants us to shine like stars in the heaven, to be light in the darkness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for John 15. What, a, what an amazing chapter of encouragement to us. What an amazing chapter of a relational God who says, abide in me and, and, and my words will abide in you, who says, ask what you're passionate about and I will show up. Lord, help us to see you as our dad. Not our fallen dad that so so many of us just have baggage about what our dads did and who our dads were, but as a perfect dad who loves us beyond our wildest imagination. Lord, help us to know. Help us to rest in that. Help us to abide in you. Help us to be a church that abides in you. Help us to be a church that unleashes the power of God in this community and 
across the world. We have so many opportunities. Help us to be good stewards with what you've put in front of us and help us to do that by abiding in you. Thanks for the power of your word. Two sentences out of scripture and I can think about this for the rest of the year, for the rest of my life. Lord, help me to abide. Help us to abide. Help us to be who you've called us to be. In the name of Jesus, amen. So my encouragement to you, if you've made a commitment to uh, pray for us at 930, if you didn't turn in your cards, turn them in the back, and we would really love for you to sign the banners in the lobby. Have a great day. Enjoy your Sunday.